My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talked to Justin from the Black Dragon Dungeon Company, which is a actual play podcast. Justin also has a bunch of other projects, so go ahead and check him out. I will leave his links in the description. On the episode, we cover a bunch of topics, but some of the main ones that come up are rewarding your players' creativity and giving your players what they want. If you're interested in helping out the show, don't forget to like, comment, and share the episodes. Contact me if you or a DM you know would like to be on the show. Use any of the affiliate links in the show notes. Or support me over on Patreon or buy me a coffee. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody. Today I have Justin with me. Welcome, Justin. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to have you on. Justin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? Um, for sure. Um, yeah, my name is Justin. I've been playing I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons for the last three years. Um, I've also expanded my list of TTRPGs to... Like Alice is Missing, um, Deadlands, Call of Cthulhu, as well as a couple uh, other indie games that are out there, like uh, the Roaring Twenties, which is a Caltrip core game. Um, and I've been doing this, like I said, for about three years. And I picked this hobby up as a just kind of like as a thing to pass time. I was uh, in Iraq at the time, and I had seen a couple of my coworkers that um, were playing D and D, and I asked if I can sit down and watch. And then next thing I know. I'm I'm drawing up a character and I haven't stopped playing since. So, um, I yeah I've been I've done a I've been, as of this year I've been doing a lot more playing uh, than I have been uh, DMing. Um, and yeah I've just been getting more and more into the into the TTRPG community, um, which has been a, a blast meeting and talking with everybody. So yeah, it's a little bit of my story. Um. It's definitely a rabbit hole once you kind of get into it. You can get sucked in pretty far. Um, what was the first system that you played? Um, that would definitely be Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Um, it, what is it? Um, it we were uh, The campaign that I joined in was finishing up, or at least in a way, finishing up uh, Dungeons of the Mad Mage, turning into Dragon Heist, and then it did a little bit of... Uh, of um uh acquisitions incorporated before i left iraq and came back to the states and how or what was your transition to becoming a dungeon master um very <laughs> very abrupt i got um you know you you play D D for a little bit and I, i'm i'm sure i'm not the only one that gets like that itch when you stop and it's like I want to play, you know, but you don't have many people around that um, that are, you know, interested in doing that. So, I mean, uh, me being who I am, like, I want to play and, you know, being the DM fills that role of being able to, like, tell the story and being able to play, you know, with my friends. So, I'm watching a bunch of YouTube videos, doing a lot of reading um, before I settled on doing Curse of Strahd with my wife um, because we did have a little bit of a bad um experienced getting her into Dungeons and dragons with a group so i was like no it's actually a fun game let me run it and let me you know show you what it what i believe it's capable of being and then it my group just kind of jumped from there starting with my wife to friends from work and well now i'm i'm doing this so and when you started 
running for your wife? Was it just the two of you? So you running and her playing? Yeah, um, I did. Uh, I did like a se- I did a session one with her, and it was um, it was interesting as like me and her were walking through um, how to play the game, um, as well as going through like a, a a rough scenario from the Curse of Strahd module. And then talking with some friends from work who were also interested, some of whom that I played when I was in Iraq with, um, you know, they were like, hey, can we play as well? Can we join you all? So I talked with her and she was just like, yeah. And you know what? We won't even count that that first session. It won't be it just my uh, her introduction. And then like, we'll just start with everybody as a group. And then it just it just went from there. And has she been enjoying it then? Yeah, um, we've as a uh, me and her um, and our group have been playing nonstop for almost three years now. And um, I've done a little bit to like, hey, you know, have you ever thought about DMing? And for her, she kind of sees it as like homework. And she's like, no, nah, I'd rather just just do the playing you and then the others. They can they can they can run the game, but I'll I'll play it. I'm like, I totally understand that that's respectable. And I'm just happy to be able to do something you know, twice a week, six hours total, um, where it's me and her, either I'm on the DM seat or I'm a player right next to her. Having fun, spending time together. It's a lot better than the alternative of just having that time where you're not getting to spend it with your wife. Exactly. Um, that's kind of how me and my wife are. Um, we are players in two games right now that are kind of like monthly-ish. Um, okay. but, it, but it's nice to... It's nice that it's like, okay, it's D&D night and it's not, it's not, um, okay, I'm going to go play D&D and she's going to go, you know, do whatever else. It's like, it's, we both get to enjoy it together um, with some friends. So um, that's always, uh, it's always nice to be able to, to share those interests and those hobbies. Exactly. 100%. How do you typically do prep for your sessions? Uh, so prep's interesting um, because it depends uh it depends on a couple things for me one whatever module i'm running because i'm a i'm a i lean heavily i lean to a certain extent heavily on modules maybe that's not the right way of phrasing it but i use modules and i use that as a skeleton for everything that i'm doing and so depending on what my players are doing um it could be just like i'm uh, going through and like reading the module like maybe an hour beforehand and seeing what the players should encounter not necessarily the what the module says they're going to do but more like okay well this this character may appear and so this is what they may look to do and just kind of run with that um and then if there's maps or anything involved with that you know I'll pull whatever I can from like the module itself from like D&D beyond or what I can find online um, and put it into like uh, Albert Rodeo. Um, so that way they can have that visual there to be able to see it. And sometimes, um, but what we used to do before is like, I just open up the screen uh, because we use Google, uh, Google meets and just be like, Hey, where do you guys look to go on the screen? And I like just move them around and like, they tell me where they want to go. Luckily we found Albert. So they get to do it now as opposed to let like just telling me where they want to go. Um, and then like, um, I'll just pretty much just go based off of how the last session went. So if it's, if we're slowly going through an, a specific area, then like, I'll just continue on with like what I already have prepared and, uh, and just, just 
go with the the narrative that the players have set forth. And if I'm doing like a one shot, if I'm doing like a uh, something special for like a charity event or something, you know, for a, a grander audience, um, I'll definitely take a lot more time to to um, look a little bit nicer, right? Yeah. There's only so many times I can go off a post note that says sexy goblin question mark. <laughs> I feel like there's a story behind that. Um, I wish there was a story behind it. Um, I've only been using that as like a meme of sorts. And I can't even remember where exactly I've seen that before. Where um, I, I want to say it was like a cartoon of sorts uh, where someone was just like, wow, you must have all this stuff prepared. Like, I'm going to plan for whatever magic items my players want to take. And even if it may seem OP, like, unless it's like really like something that I'm like, like it causes me to like think is like to like take a couple moments to consider I'll work with them to maybe like find something else or maybe bring the the level down a, a, a little bit but for the most part like chaos reigns supreme and I'm here for it I've given my players wish scrolls and the deck of many things just to see what they've thrown at me and I have to say like it's been a blast every time do those ever come back to bite the players with with their uh, asking the deck of many things has not yet. They've only drawn a bad, a quote unquote bad card, which was the night card. Um, and it wasn't necessarily them. It was one of the prisoners that they went to interrogate and they gave it to the prisoner. They were like, Hey, what do you, uh, you have, you sh- you need to say this and you can draw this card. And they were, I don't know exactly their thought process, but I guess they were hoping something bad like the void would pop in and they'd go bye bye. But it turned out I draw the uh, they drew the night card, and so they ended up ha- like two of the players were there. Everybody else was gone to like an like they essentially split the party, and the player the two players that were there had to fight the night um, by themselves while also doing their best that they can to keep the prisoner there. And so that was a fiasco in and of itself. So I want to say that was the closest it came to biting them back. Um, And that wish spell they've used and essentially caused me to throw Rise of Tiamat out the window. (laughs) Just completely change the directory, uh, the trajectory of the campaign, right? Absolutely. Like, I was hoping that they were going... I, I was hoping that they were going to wish for something... Um, that I could mess around with um, to an extent. But when they they wished for all of the dragon masks to be at their location, they were very specific with their language. And I'm just like, I sat there for a little bit. I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. And I don't see any holes that I can dig into. So I gave it to them. And I'm like, okay, you guys now have this as I'm chucking the chucking the book out the window and i hear a cat meow as uh, as i think i may have hit it um joking jokingly i say that <laughs> and yeah no um but it did in a way come back to bite them as i told them like okay you guys did this um and so i had like the villains come there and they're like how the hell did they find us well you guys did a couple different things that if we were to take a look at it and from a magical perspective would cause the city that you get or the town that you guys are in to like almost look like red with all magical, you know, uh, radiation of sorts and compared to everything else. So you guys are going to stand out more than what I think you guys even thought that you guys might stand out to. 
I mean, that's a decent consequence for having no other way to really deal with this situation in terms of like consequences, just making it apparent that there's this massive amount of magical energy, you know, all of a sudden in this place. Exactly. It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And and then on top of that, they also um, they also waited and uh, they did some downtime activities, which lasted about a month and a half. So in addition to the wish spell, and a couple of other things that they did magically that caused the radiation to show within the area. They also gave the enemy time to be able to go scouting and looking for them. So, yeah, it, it worked out. Well, if you're just going to sit there for for a couple months, then, yeah, that, it makes a little bit of sense. Exactly. Um, when So how does this conversation look with your players? Uh, do you say, hey, what... You know, what kind of items and stuff are you wanting to get over the course of the campaign? Or what does that process look like uh, for them kind of making requests and then like your timeline to fulfill those in the game? Um, During times where they go into the city and it looks and they mention like, hey, can we go shopping for stuff? Um, I'll give them a little bit of a cap. Like I'll tell them like, hey, no, you can find whatever you want as long as it doesn't go beyond uncommon. Um, and like if they were to go into water deep, I, I put that cap on there so they'd find stuff and I'm like, you know, keep it to like one or two magical items, something along those lines. Um, and they're really respectful when it comes to it. But if it's something like, um, if they have like an idea, uh, that they, that they, that they have, they'll, they're, they'll come to me and they're like, Hey, so this is the concept that I have and I will ask them like do you have you made this yet or do you want me to make this cuz i can see where you're going with this and i think i i think i can uh, i think i can make this happen and uh so far um every time they've asked for a, a magic item to be made for them um i they've loved it and i'll ask them like what is your feedback on this can i make this better for you guys or you know is there any way and i've had it a couple times where like i think it may be a little bit too overpowered so they'll ask me to like crank things down a little bit surprisingly um and so yeah i'll I'll fulfill it as best i can like you just have to ask me and i'm more than happy to fulfill it so if you're that's actually really nice that you're getting feedback even with the oh hey this might be too strong Maybe we should tone it back a little bit. And I feel like it sounds like the uh, the conversation that you and your players have is very is a very healthy conversation to be like the players aren't trying to take advantage of you giving stuff out, and then in return you're also more willing to give them the things that they want for the game. Oh, absolutely, and it's it, it takes it takes a because like I said, we've been doing this for about three years, so t- we have that level of trust amongst each other. That like I know that they're not going to push for anything that may be too over, uh, you know, too overpowered or, you know, they'll have that. We'll have that conversation either in private or in like for all of us to kind of talk about um, together. So um, trust is really a big thing when it comes to something like that. I know I may be a little bit too trusting even when it comes to like strain, like uh, people that have that I've never uh, I hate to say strangers, but, you know, new players that I've never had before. Like I, I'd be open to it, but um, I think I'd be a little bit more, you know, like 
let's continue let's have this conversation like why you may want something and as long as it's a valid it's a valid you know hey i want it because of x y and z i'm like okay cool like i can buy into that and just roll with it um but like i said that may also be a, a thing for me it's just like i i assume the good in in people so when they ask me for when i get asked for certain things i'm just okay cool you'll probably want it for something good and i'm i'm here with it uh, you said that you've been doing or that you've been playing with your current group for about three years. Is that uh, the span of one single, you know, like long term campaign or have you guys done multiple campaigns in that three years? Um, we have done we are currently on our third campaign with me running it. Um, we've done Curse of Strahd, a Descent into Avernus, and now we're in Tyranny of Dragons. Um, and this is all um, interconnected with each other. This is um, they're they're con- uh, the what is it? Each of the campaigns are uh, make references to each other, so they're all within the same world. Um, everything that happened in one campaign can be referenced in another campaign that have effects in this current campaign. So um, it's very interesting. And then on top of that, um, one of my players who was my first DM. Uh, he had asked me if he can start running a different uh, a game as well. So like we've been alternating where he'll do one on one day and I'll do our campaign on the other day. So grand total for the group, we've done five campaigns together. Wow, that's a that's a good run, especially to just be continuing to play that long. Um, I assume that each of the campaigns, it's new, it's new characters, but it's still in the same world. I have my world and he has his, so we don't necessarily meet anywhere. It's just, you know, his characters are his. The characters in his world are there and the characters in my world are are there. And we just, it's like, it's kind of like an unspoken, like, you know, um, we just, it's, I don't really know how to put it other than like, um, he's running his world and I'm running mine, so. At what level do you guys typically get up to by the end of a campaign? Um, I want to say we've gone up to 13, um, is the highest and I'm trying to work it with character backstory as well as stuff from the, um, tyranny of dragons module to try and push and see if we can't get the campaign that I'm running to be, uh, to have them conclude at level 20. Um, do you find as you're getting into those higher levels, do you, are there issues as a, as a DM in terms of like coming up with encounters and stuff like that? Or is that just kind of where the narrative kind of finale of the campaigns tend to land? Um, I think, I think it's for why we've stopped at like level 13, level 14 is, is mostly due to narrative. Um, and for me with wanting to push up to 20, um, narratively speaking, I hold off with the final encounter with Tiamat till then. Um, and as far as like with encounters, it does become a little tricky because um, I can't just throw, you know, I can't just throw uh, random creatures at them because it wouldn't make sense narratively. Um, so I have to be very, I have to be a lot more, um, I, have to, I have to use a lot more tact uh, uh a, lot, a lot more tactics when it comes to fighting um uh to fighting my players as they go higher because even uh as far as i can see you know even with some like the lower creatures that they face um you have numbers odds and 
yeah, you have numbers on your side and you have ta- uh, like smart tactics um, could even still bring down characters of that high of magic. If that makes sense. Yeah. It just the, a group that works together well, especially the higher level they get, they can punch above their, their weight limit essentially if they're, if they're smart about it. Yeah. Um, sometimes also as a DM, maybe you find this to be true. Um, it can be hard to compete with having, you know, four or five other brains at the table when you're trying to run all of the monsters. And then, you know, they, they, in my experience, um, players can come up with better and faster plans than you can as the DM. Oh, absolutely. Um, because just like you had mentioned, like that's four or five brains more than my one. So, um, I can come up with the best tactics that I that I want, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I may make one move, but you have all these other players that are go that are going before probably like one of my character, one of my uh, minions are are against them, and then boom, next thing you know, like all of my plans just got shattered because you know them working as a group caused a uh, caused a shift that I wasn't anticipating, and then. You know, they see something I don't, and then all those plans just gone. Do your players tend to find creative solutions to encounters? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, uh, there have been. I'd say one of the most interesting ones happens happens to deal with mayonnaise. Oh, I would like to hear about this. Um, so, um, in my Tyranny of Dragons campaign. Um, having the Red Wizards of Thay on top of the Cult of the Dragon on the Skyreach Castle, essentially holding the city of the, the village of Greenest hostage because that's where all of the mat, like the magical, you know, energy had been focused on. Um, they managed to be able to get onto the castle, find where the where the wizards were at take them down and i had one character uh one of my friends jenna um she has a character a satyr barbarian um that decided she was going to and she was going to use mayonnaise to put on her hooves to help boost up her speed and essentially drop kick one of the wizards off of the was drop kick no tackle one of the wizards off of the castle and then drop kick them even further so that way they went all the way to the ground and the way she had described it i was just like that is the most unique thing i've ever heard and i'm going to reward that with you and i'm going to give you advantage when you do this because i would have never thought to use mayonnaise in that circumstance it sounds like some really off the wall like anime scene (laughs) it it really was (laughs) it really was just when she said that she described tackling him and then when it came back to their turn she talked about how like she made the attack roll and everything, how she just kicked him all the way off and then was rescued by one of, uh, one of the other PCs um, who was on a, who was on a broom um, to keep her from falling off. He did it reluctantly, his character anyway, uh, but it was just an epic scene to just describe and to see play out. Um, Because again, I would have never have thought, to use because she asked for an alchemy jar of all, all things i'm like yeah it's probably something silly okay well she used it to increase her speed and i'm like let's go let's let's do it 
So your your campaigns tend to lean on the like you said earlier, kind of the chaos. Embrace the chaos. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, chaos is just more fun because you know I I I, I know that. You, I know that some some DMs out there like uh, run their games a lot more serious, and but for my personality and for the the my players, um, chaos is just like our go to for everything. And if that's what works for your table, then that's great. It sounds like the stories that come out of it are just are just fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there things as a GM that you? Spe- uh, specifically struggle with um i think description is like one of the one of the bigger things that i have an issue with um just because i've um i think that i'm describing everything that you know the that the players are seeing um but then they ask for follow-on questions like oh maybe i didn't actually like throw everything out there and i have this thought of it's supposed to look like flavor text that you would see in like curse of Strahd or in the modules. Um, and so like in my head, like I I'm trying to get to that level and I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm slowly getting better at it. I'm trying to be as descriptive as I can when it comes to not only player actions, but you know, descriptions of the room. And then sometimes they just go into places where I'm like, I, I have to think on my feet and I don't, it, my improv game may not truly be all that well to get to, uh, to be able to like just describe a room off the top of my head, um, sometimes I have to write things down just to make sure, like, okay, I want this look, this room to look, you know, a certain way. Yeah, it's one of the areas that I have a hard time with too. If I don't have some, I really, I need like bullet points of like here are a couple of things that they'll notice, or like smells, or or you know, different sensory things that they'll notice mm-hmm. in an area. I find it, I do find it hard to improv some of that stuff uh, if i'm not well prepared for it yeah and i know that uh was it um watching one of the dungeon dudes videos um and i i want to say it was them that described like not just like the visual aspect of the room but or just in any sort of like new area for the players to try and do your best to incorporate essentially all of the senses so um it again this is something i do i do think i struggle with um, to a certain extent, there's always room for improvement. So, like, that's what I I sometimes need to remind myself. Like, think of the five senses. Think of the five senses. Well, then, and then just go into description and try and hit as many of them that seem appropriate. Right, and trying to hit different ones each time is helpful too. You know, if it's something they hear or if it's something they smell, um, those can be good descriptors that you don't always you don't always think about, especially because. Uh, if you're trying to describe a scene, I mean, I think as humans, we tend to rely on our sight for most things. And it's all of those other senses, which are kind of like afterthoughts, which they help us, but they're not like immediate to like recognizing what's around us. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, sometimes and I like I said, using maps and stuff, it's it at least for me, it's easy to forget to have that description on there unless like I have something already pre-written or if it's from like, it's from a module that I can look up and pull through. Sometimes like, okay, you guys go into this room, you know, you see a couple different things and then just completely leave it at that. And then like, I'm like, uh, they'll ask further on questions for it. I'm just like, Oh, I should have done a better job at like describing this room instead of just, Hey, you guys moved your icons into this room. 
Um, but I, I, I think that that's a pitfall for me. Uh, just like, just here's the room. You guys go in it. What do you guys do? Do you have advice for new dungeon masters? The biggest thing that I can tell a new dungeon master is to just do it. I hate to go Shia LaBeouf, but literally it, it's just, yeah, just to go and do it. There are plenty of resources and videos out there that can explain, you know, different aspects and different rules uh, when it comes to being, you know, running a, a, a game, what, whatever TTRPG you're, you're wanting to do. Um, but it doesn't beat experience. It doesn't beat going out and actually running whatever game that you're looking to do. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I think, I think especially for me, thinking that it has to be perfect, you have to have everything laid out. As long as you have a rough outline of what the story that you and your players want to do, then let them fill in the rest. I've, like I said earlier on in, in, in our conversation, that I see campaigns, and this can go for just stories in general, you know, you have your skeleton, and then you have the meat of everything else in the skin, and allow for your players and all the decisions that they make to be that the the meat of everything in there, and just having whatever outline or how you want the story to, you know, uh, what the story you want to tell be that skeleton. You know, you can't account for everything that a player will want to do because they will do some off the wall stuff you would never have thought of in a million years and if you keep that in mind just beginning middle end and then just let them fill out the rest yeah sometimes the things that they do will involve mayonnaise yes (laughs) yeah i think that's i think that's good advice um i always agree with the just just run it because uh your first time is probably going to be bad or it's going to feel weird or might feel bad when you kind of look back on it but it gets a lot easier the more you've done it and that's really one of the main ways to get better at it um and then i also agree with your uh kind of the skeleton like have a have a general idea of what's what either needs to happen or what kind of underlying story is going to be and then let them connect the dots on how they get through a lot of it because they're going to if you get too stuck in this is the specific path that they need to take in order for everything to work out, um, they're definitely going to take a hard left turn and be nowhere near what you what you had intended. So um, exactly. know up front that that's probably going to happen uh, and then just be prepared to uh, have to corral them in some way or or just let it go off the rails, too. That's that's good as well. Yeah. All that is 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 OK. I, I think sometimes. Um, you know, people, uh, brand new DMs and even sometimes veterans just kind of forget that, you know, uh, players are going to do what players do. And that is the unexpected. And sometimes you just got to let the story go the way that they want to, or, you know, find a way to corral them back into it. And sometimes if you take the risk of following where the, the players want to go, um, you would be surprised at the amazing story that you'll get from it and think, okay, well, that is probably way better than what I had initially planned. Um, you know, that's, that's always what I like. That's what I always, that's what I like to keep in the back of my head when it comes, when it comes to this. just go out and let's see what the players have, uh, have in, have in store. Players have a really uh, fun habit of saying things that are like, oh, this is probably the case or, you know, starting little rumors with each other. And then, you know, as a DM, you're like, okay, write that down, write that down. Uh, We'll use that later. Um, Yes. Dear God, yes. Especially when it comes to like 
them trying to figure out who the bad guy is in all this. And I, like I said, I don't necessarily plan for it. I, I, I read the module as much as I can, but it's generally like within like the, the hour um, or even sometimes during the session where I'm like quickly skimming through the module. And it's just like, yeah, that's uh hold on. Ignore me. I'm not doing anything as I'm like, like you had said, just writing down whatever, whatever. The, that's a good idea. That's, that's phenomenal. That's good stuff. Let, let, let's keep that up. I'll remind that for le- later. Yeah. Um, when you're using the modules, um, it sounds like you kind of use them more as just a guide, right? Like you're, you have a general idea of where the module is supposed to go and maybe key NPCs and stuff like that. But it sounds like you more so just kind of throw them into the module and then just kind of see where the, they go. Yeah. So when I first started, I thought that because um, when I first started running uh, Curse of Strahd, um, I was trying to go by the book as best as I can, um, while also trying to understand and conceptualize in my head, you know, where do I, you know, add these checks? When am I supposed to add these checks? They give me sometimes, you know, in the module when I should do it. Um, and then, you know, I thought it needed to be ran in such a manner to where it's supposed to be almost verbatim off the module. Um, but then when I moved to the descent into Avernus, um, I learned quickly that um, I have to rely on my own imagination to be able to tell a better story because um, the descent into Avernus is not a bad story um, and it definitely has its great points. But there was, in, in my opinion, there was a lot that I felt that I needed to provide more input on and to put it more character focused rather uh, versus doing more of what the module is telling me to do. And then, uh, and that's part of the experience with being a dungeon master or being a game master is that you learn, you learn how to pick and choose what you need from modules or from different parts of different literature, uh, different elements of literature um, and what have you and to incorporate into your game. Um, and it isn't until like this latest campaign where I'm using elements, I'm using less elements of, uh, of Tyranny of Dragons and more of the player's input into things while also throwing in little bits here and there of what I think would help make this a better story than what um, than what uh, than what I already have, you know, in the module itself. Yeah, that makes sense. You're not pulling it word for word as much anymore. It's it's more informed by the players, but then still leaning on the module just for the inspiration. Yeah. So you your group is primarily playing uh, fifth edition, correct? That's correct. Um, but you did mention that you have played some other tabletop games. Do you want to talk about any of those that you've played? Um, yeah, so I've played and I'm currently running a Call of Cthulhu campaign right now. Um, not with this, not with the group that I've been talking about, um, that I've been talking about. Um, this is with a different group of friends that, uh, that I've been playing D&D with, uh, off and on for a little bit, not as long, but, um, it's, it's, it's a group that I, that, uh, is made up from one of my other friends. Um, and we just started you know, they were interested in ni- the 1920 setting of Call of Cthulhu after we had played um, the indie game, the Roaring Twenties. Um, so we were, we managed to convert their characters from that from that um, game to Call of Cthulhu. 
Um, and I've started doing that. I'm also learning how to run Call of Cthulhu as well. So it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting uh, journey uh, for all of us as the players are learning how to play, and then I'm learning how to run it. So I've relied a little bit on like you know just remembering that the rules are guidelines. So sometimes I'll have them do things, or I won't. I won't follow how things are supposed to be done uh per the uh, uh per the ha- the uh the GM's handbook for Call of Cthulhu and just you know go it off my own gut based on of like the circumstance that we're in um I did play Deadlands for a one shot and that was incredibly difficult to to do for myself just cuz it seemed like I had to go to not only the Deadlands uh uh, rule book, but I also go to to Savage Lands, and then I didn't really understand character creation very well. So um, we, me, and the group that I ran that for, um, we did a little searching here and there to figure out like the best, most uh, the best and most optimized way of being able to, you know, develop characters so that way we can, um, that way you know we can get the the session started, and that we that way they are able to have fun, and then. Yeah, um, I did play um, the game. Alice is missing with uh, the with Amber from the Space Jamber, um, Chrissy from Chrissy and Color, um, and uh, Bran from uh, from Bards and Brews um, for uh, for one session. That was that was a very interesting game to say the least. <laughs> very wow, very powerful game. I don't think I have heard of that one. Alice is missing. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's kind of, it's one of those that you, it's one of those TTRPGs that you don't, that it's like a one, one and done kind of a deal where, um, you, you pick up the game and you follow along with how the, with uh, the instructions of the game. It's supposed to be GM-less and it only has like a, uh, a facilitator to be able to like draw the cards and, you know, gather everything. But for the most part, like. Um, it's pretty much, there's no one, there's no, uh, there's no GM that's telling the story. It's the players that are all there that are coming up with everything as they go. And then solving the mystery of why Alice is missing and it can get pretty dark. I won't lie. Cool. I'm going to have to look that one up and I will include links to that, uh, in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out as well. Um, do you have any um, like favorite systems that you've done? Do you tend to like fall back to fifth edition, or have you been enjoying branching out and trying other systems? Um, I've been enjoying branching out to, to to other systems. I think it's um, it's healthy and it kind it it's healthy in not being in not being in that um, that same rule set for so long. You know, it's nice to be able to learn. Um, how different things you know operate versus like that one system that you're accustomed to um just from the standpoint of fifth edition is not a perfect system and i'm never and i don't think there is any one system that is um i think there are a lot of different systems that are that i think that a lot of the systems that are out there have like great aspects of it um like for instance i'm playing also a, a blades in the dark campaign um and I've been learning a little bit here. I've been learning a lot from that system and how they um, utilize clocks to be able to 
um, see the outcome of certain things. And I even uh, adapted that at that aspect into one of my D and D groups to, to kind of help them be like, you know, you guys are doing the stealth mission and I don't think it's necessarily right that one bad roll from one person would botch the entire operation. So why not take, you know, the clock, yeah, uh, this clock uh, rule and make that a thing to where like you have this many times to mess up before like the entire area is alerted of your presence. Uh, I think one of the like tenets of this podcast is you should try other games and then steal their mechanics because many games do certain things really well that other games don't always do really well. Uh, yeah. So find find the good nuggets that you can take to whatever your system of choice is. And clocks is a great example that, that um, is such an easy one to port over to basically anything. Well, especially because it's not really, there's not really a lot of mechanics to it. It's just, it's basically just a little circle. And then you just mark off boxes when, uh, when things happen. And then when you fill a box up, your, whatever it was is completed. So, um, especially for stealth and heist type gameplay blades is a, is a great game. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned a little bit about some of the tools and stuff that you guys use. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about just like what, uh, tools you use to run a single session? Um, so I'll use, um, Albert, uh, rodeo to be my, um, to be my virtual tabletop. And I have, what is it? I use D and D beyond, um, for all of my D and D games, just cause it's, it's very convenient. I already have like their master subscription. Um, so that way it allows me to like run all these, you know, different campaigns, um, and keep everything pretty organized versus having everybody send me, uh, PDFs. And I'm like trying to like switch back and forth, you know, from all the different tabs that I have on uh, from like the different programs. Um, it, that's just something to make it easier. And then for music, um, I think uh, I'm glad that Albert allows uh, is experimenting with uh, allowing music from a different web browser. So like I'll put on um, a YouTube video from uh, that has like the the ambiance that I'm wanting for then have it streamed through that web app um so that way my players can listen to that as loud or as quietly as they that they want um i was talking not too long ago with a gentleman on twitter about the uh, video conferencing uh, uh site that i use which is google meets um it's i've been using that for a while because initially we were using discord um but discord was causing um was being very laggy and not working pretty well with some of my other players so i it was in the middle of the pandemic that i found uh, google meet so uh, we transitioned over there and we had been playing it ever since i did have to when they did revoke the free 24-hour you know conferencing call that you could do um i did i did get a subscription because yeah it's google and you know it's been working pretty good so if it ain't you know if it ain't broke don't fix it I may have to pay a little bit, but eh, it's it's for my players and I'm more than happy to do and shell out what I need to to make sure like our game, our gaming experience um, continues. Um, I didn't realize that Owlbear allowed audio now. That must be something new that they've recently added or I, I just haven't used them a lot recently. So 
Um, I know when I started using it, it had that it had it as an experimental feature. So I used it a couple times and I think it's like hit or miss where sometimes it'll work and sometimes it'll be a little wonky. And I think that's why like they're they're saying it's experimental is just to work out all the all the little bugs out of it. Um, and you mentioned you use YouTube to find like ambiance clips and stuff. Is that typically where you go to to just find whatever you need? Yeah, because um, for though for um, because my games aren't streamed, so it's not an issue of like if this is going to be if I'm having to deal with any sort of copyright issues. So you know I can pull whatever I need to from YouTube to be able to to run um, and make sure like the music is perfect for my players. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I always forget I don't stream games either, so I don't ever really think about copyright or anything like that but yeah if you're streaming you definitely don't want to be just pulling random stuff off of youtube yeah and i know from my my the descendant to avernus uh campaign i couldn't use uh i i i uh, we used um the office theme song um as like background music for when i would do the recaps so i i knew i know for a fact like i couldn't do that on a live stream like on twitch um, but for like a personal game, yeah, it's free, it's free, you know. That's awesome. That's a that's a nice touch to the intro of a of a new session. Um, are there any TTRPGs that uh, you have not gotten to play yet, but you would like to play? Um, I was uh, I want to say it's uh, Vampire the Masquerade. I see so many different things. I see um. There's so many different content uh, content creators um, that um, that show off, you know, some of their uh, uh, VTM uh, OCs and talk about it that I'm like, it has me intrigued. It's just it's not been up there as far as like one of the things to grab and see about running. But I I would definitely love to learn and see how see how it's ran and see how it's played. Yeah, that's one that I haven't gotten a chance to play either. But for people that I've talked to that have played it, they tend to really like it. Do you have any house rules that you use in your games? Um, I have a couple of them. Um, one is um, for when it comes to combat, um, I pulled this one from the Dungeon Coach. And it's called the Glancing Blow in that... Um, when it comes to attack rolls and the player meets the armor class of it, instead of it, instead of fumbling rounds, like if it meets, it beats kind of a deal. It's like, well, let's make it a little bit more fun. You didn't necessarily beat the army armor class, which um, a lot of which I always get the sense like that's what you're supposed to do, not meet it. You know, you you roll the number for their armor class and though you do get the, the you get the you do get the uh, you do get the hit. But it's kind of it's at half damage, and then you describe the theatrics of well, you manage to find a small hole and stab right into the enemy's uh, uh, right through the enemy's armor. But it's not enough to where uh, where you can feel as though you uh, you managed to make all the what you uh, you had full impact. But it's enough that you know as you pull back, you feel as the blade cuts through skin, kind of a deal. So that's one of the things that I run. In addition to that, I use the Critical Hits revised uh, uh, PDF that you can find online, um, which has made crits spicier. Um, 
especially um, when it comes to acid damage. Ooh, spicy acid. Yeah, um, my wife uh, was on the bad side of a of a of an acid attack, um, and her character suffered pretty um, a pretty bad uh, dose of acid that caused uh, that caused a drop in uh, that caused a drop in her charisma. And according to the the PDF, it said it can only be fixed with a um, with a uh, with the with the use of lesser restoration. So um, I made sure after you know the fight was uh, was done, like how she she thought what she thought, how she felt about it, um, just uh, just with the with the way that the fight had taken place. Um, and then yeah, we had a fun time as they tried to as they tried their best to find a new uh, a somebody that could give uh, that would be able to cast lesser lesser restoration for her. Um, and she played her character very well as like as somebody that had been that had been uh, that had been uh, that had been attacked in that way. So that that's something that uh, that uh, that we used too. Um, and then I think those are like the two big ones that we used. Um, I don't know if I have heard of either of those. I know that I specifically hadn't heard of the Glancing Blows house rule, but I really liked that because I know there was a one-shot that I ran a while back, and I kept forgetting the meet or beat on the armor class. So if you just had a specific rule to say, oh, this happens, um, and now narrate it, then I kind of like that as a as just a way to remember what happens because it's a, it's a special condition on you either miss you glance or you hit. Yeah. And it's, it's such a very specific thing. Like, like I said, the armor class is a very, is a set number. So you, you, it's in my head. And I agree with the dungeon coach when he said like, it just seems lackluster just to say, Oh, you meet, you beat kind of a deal. Well, let's make this a little bit more fun and that you do the damage still, but you don't do it all the way because you only managed to meet it. So you found that little bit there to be able to do the damage. So, um, but that, you know, that'll, that'll encourage, you know, at least the players in my head to where like, okay, we're, we're trying, we're still doing damage. We're still going through, you know, the fight still going. Um, and you know, it just kind of, at least to me, it feels like the, the intensity increases, increases a bit and it's very fluid as far as like the combat is concerned because that's the longest part of you know when it, at least to me uh when it comes to D&D is the combat so to not have to fight over you know the ruling on that you know just straight you know you miss you glancing blow or you actually hit and then you just roll on from there with with no issue right yeah i really like that it makes a lot of sense and it just seems it seems like a simple way to remember what's happening in that scenario. Um, we are getting pretty close to time here. So um, is there anything else that you want to talk about or uh, other, if not, you can go right into um, mentioning your socials. Okay. Um, I, um, as far as uh, my, my, uh, my socials um, pretty much you guys can find me uh, on Twitter at, uh, the number four ever dm underscore justin um you can also find me on tiktok under the same name um i play katsu legatu a owlin folk cleric um uh, on the bards and brew stream um every wednesday and every other monday i play as elias nightire um the um the muscle for the group um in our blades in the dark campaign and there are a couple other projects coming our way with 
not only the Barge and Brew crew, but with another group as well. So uh, stay tuned. And then also, um, I've developed, I've come up, uh, me and uh, my friend John have are starting up a podcast called the Black Dragon Dungeon Company uh, Pod, or what you can find us on Twitter at uh, bddc underscore pod. Um, we're still working on at the time of this. We're still working on the on the audio, and then we hope to be publishing here soon. Uh, you can find um, us publishing our solo TTRPG RPG, uh, uh, videos on YouTube um, under the same name. And we are also publishing different games using the Caltrip Core um, rule set, as well as coming up with different things to add uh, flavor to your D&D game. Awesome. Um, what If I could just probe real quick on your podcast what is the uh like what are episode a typical episode of your podcast what will that look like um so an episode will either be one of two uh, one of two things it's either going to be what we call an encounter episode where you'll have me um and my co-host john um taking sides on a topic um for instance homebrew versus module and we'll both uh explain our sides why we believe you know why I believe uh, modules are be- are better to use. Um, and while John flips over and says like why he thinks uh, uh, homebrew is better, and at- towards the end of the episode we'll come together because we you know we both understand like there are great there are co- pros and cons to each side. So we just have our stances where we believe one is better than the other, and then you'll have uh, another episode that we call our. Um, our uh, our rest episode, our downtime episode, um, where we'll have a casual conversation about uh, again another topic that we both have our agree our agreement on our uh, we'll we'll both agree on, and we'll just kind of elaborate and kind of come up with uh, with ideas on ways that we can make if it's like a rule like how we can make this better or you know firsthand experiences on a new TTRPG that uh, that we've never played before. Um, and our thoughts and opinions on that. And um, yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds like a fantastic new podcast. So um, I will recommend that all of my listeners go check that out uh, when it releases. I'd be awesome. Really appreciate it. So thank you very much, Justin, for joining me today. Thank you again for having me. It's, it was, it's been a blast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Masters Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.